Welcome to the Homegrown Podcast, the place where we share the truth about food and farming from our kitchen to yours. I'm your host, Liz Hazelmeyer, along with my husband, Joey. Good afternoon. And together we hope to inspire, educate, and equip you in your pursuit of true nourishment. Today we are talking with Pamela Tanner Bull, director and executive producer of To Which We Belong, a documentary featuring nine beautiful examples of regenerative agriculture around the world. We've mentioned To Which We Belong on this show several times, and now I think I've watched it three or four. It's a fantastic fantastic documentary. So Pamela, we are so excited to welcome you to the show. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Yes. Uh, So before we get started, I know we really want to hone in on this conversation of agriculture and climate change, but I'm dying to know because your list of works is quite long. I really am curious how you uh, decided to make this film particularly. A couple of things. One is uh, I have um, always been uh, somebody who's interested in the natural world, more than interested. I grew up, I was born in Midland, Texas. That's the Chihuahuan Desert. And then I moved to Mississippi, very different climate. And then I basically, at the age of five and a half, six maybe, went to uh, West Virginia, which was where my mother was form, uh, from. So very different. I've just always uh, been, um, I'm an outdoor person. Uh, I hardly ever wore shoes growing up. Uh, I did in school, but that's about it. So there's that. And I I mean, we had woods and I rode bareback through the woods. Wow. So um, I have three sons who are grown and uh, the youngest is expecting twins. Wow. I want them and their children to have the uh, experiences that I had growing up. Mm. That's number one. And a second, and then, but you know, making a movie is a lot of work and it's huge and it's expensive. And I thought I wasn't going to make any more movies, but I um, had a dream uh, where I was walking in a very dry desert like climate but it was up a hill Mm. and I could not breathe I couldn't get enough oxygen and I uh actually just kept there was no greenery anywhere it was just dead dry and I woke up and in fact I did I was I need I couldn't breathe I had to go get up I was panicked almost and I knew after that dream that I had to make this film. Mm. That's powerful. And, um, okay, so let's, I I want to know, you grew up in all these different climates. How does that relate to you connecting the dots between regenerative agriculture and climate health, I want to call it? Uh, I think anyone who spends time uh, as a child outdoors probably has a... uh, closer connection with the natural world and um i was lucky i was blessed to have those experiences i mean my grandmother lived right down the hill through the woods and down the hill and she was always in her garden always and she composted my mother fed us let's eat from a cookbook called let's eat right adele davis <laughs> this is back in the 70s um so the climate issue is scary as 
as we all know. But I think people don't change when they are scared. Mm -hmm. They need hope. They need something to, uh, to look to do. So I prefer making uh, films that, have, uh, so, that are solution-based. I love that because as I was watching your film, that was something that came through for me was too often we're watching anything, whether it's, it's in the news, whether it's a documentary or a, anything, a TikTok video, <laughs> and it's all fear. It's all the world is, is, is going down. Here's all the things that are going. And I was walking away from to which we belong thinking, man, look at all these places that are doing it right. Yeah. Look mm -hmm. at all these places. Look at the impact that the Savory Institute's having. Mm -hmm. right? Look at yeah. all these people that are excited to be doing something so amazing for the earth. And we also didn't shy away from talking about things like the airline industry and the impacts that that has and how we're mm -hmm. kind of working back and forth. It was just, uh, it was outstanding. So uh, yeah. totally, totally agree with that. There is definitely some positive energy and impact that the world is desperately needing in this arena beyond mm -hmm. just the actual action itself but also in some of the like media content yeah it's mm -hmm. a very hope-filled piece very hope-filled documentary which again is needed and it's it's interesting because climate change you say that word and people get kind of squirrely right so i would love to hear sort of your definition of what's going on in the world and then from there we can move into um, what we can do about it. So define. Are you climate talking about change. the science of climate change? I'm the talking. Science? Yeah, define climate change for okay. for us. Mm -hmm. Well, the world, our climate, uh, it's our our world is warming. Now that sounds good. Hey, wouldn't we all like to live in Florida? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it isn't good because when your temperature rises and they're pretty sure in fact I think more and more people agree that this is human cause um, burning fossil fuels for the last 200 years this is when the climate that the warming has really happened um, but what ha what people don't understand is that this creates more storms and floods it's it's a more um, it's a more unpredictable uh, we get huge droughts in places that we haven't had droughts before. So the thing that's interesting is part, the biggest issue is greenhouse gases in the environment. Now, those are a lot of different gases, but the primary one is carbon dioxide, CO2. There's others. Carbon dioxide has been villainized. Uh, it's, you know, what, what the... Um, well, we know it is, is terrible, right? But it's not. Carbon dioxide is what makes everything here on life live. We're made from carbon dioxide. Mm. The problem is not the carbon dioxide. It's, it's that it's in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the reason that the agriculture and land-based solutions is so exciting is because it needs to be in the ground. So the thing is, we have spent... 200 year, years burning fossil fuels, 300 if you want to stretch it. We've let uh, all this carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and into the ocean. It needs to be brought down, and the best and cheapest 
way to do that is through photosynthesis. Mm -hmm. Now, we sometimes forget that. I don't know about you all, but the last time I heard about photosynthesis was sixth grade. (laughs) Really good science teacher. And the whole process that plants, they use carbon uh, to grow, and they exude their excess into the soil, and it feeds the microbial life of the soil. Now, why should we care about that? I'm not a farmer. You're probably not either. But we do, because it's the microbial life in the soil that creates fertility and water-holding capacity. So you can reverse the more carbon you have in the ground. And by the way, let's just put this out there. In our world, in the Great Plains of this country, for example, used to be at the beginning of the 1800s or whenever, before everyone started plowing, there was 7% carbon in the soil. That's what makes it brown and rich. Now it's closer to 2%. And there's no way that you can continue fertilizing this soil and get the same sort of richness and fertility because we're just using three chemicals to do that. Um, So the real big deal, the real change here is to have roots in the ground year round. That's my saying, you can quote it. Mm. Um, And you should have, um, and the reason that animals are so important is because I think it's 40% of our planet is grasslands. Now, we all know people don't like cows and, oh, they've got methane and all this stuff. Here's the thing. If we don't have grazing animals appropriately moving across those grasslands, the grasses become brittle. And when the grasses become brittle, they die. And then uh, they don't have the uh, energy to replace themselves. What do cows do? I mean, it could be buffalo, could be elephants, any animals. In a big herd, they move across those grasslands. They munch. Uh, They're not in one place. They have to keep moving to keep from the prey, the predators, their prey. So when they move, they don't eat everything down to the stubble. Mm -hmm. So it it kills the grasses. Um, They keep moving, munch, munch, munch. Then they walk they pee, they poop, that's fertilizer. Those little indentations but that their, their uh, hooves make, that holds water. But even more, once you have the microbial life beginning to be fed by the uh, uh, working photosynthesis on this land, uh, it, the land can hold 40% more water. Mm. It's crazy. So we're in the West here, and Australia... There's so many places that are desertifying. It's scary. Mm. Uh, Mongolia. Now, these are grazing lands, a lot of them. But we've not been grazing right. We need more animals on the land, and we need to keep them moving. That was Alan Savory's brilliant discovery, and he was vilified for years. But now, people all over the world are seeing that it does work. Mm -hmm. And the people in my film are showing you. Totally. Is this, are we seeing this desertification also happen in places with just wildlife? Like where we're not, are, are there even places where we're not intervening in the land anymore? I don't even know. Um, in the Serengeti, you have a good ecosystem. Okay. In the American uh, West uh, near Yellowstone, it's a pretty good ecosystem. It's not just animals. You have to have a variety of animals. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
we know this, or maybe we don't know it, but all these things have to work together. So if you cut out um, certain animals, like let's use a healthy ecosystem instead of going to the negative. You've got your, let's say you've got your cattle in the Maasai Mara, right? Mm. That's pretty healthy ecosystem. Now, 10 years ago, people would say, kill all the animals, the the wild animals, because they're interfering with our uh, cattle growing, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Guess what? You saw my film. That is not true. In a healthy ecosystem where you have cattle running appropriately, bunched, moving, I have to stress that, the, the grasses come back in such abundance because there's a seed bed. It's a miracle. We live on a miraculous planet. There's a seed bed of, of once the uh, seeds uh, get more of those carbon sh- and the carbon sugars and the water holding capacity comes back, guess what? You get more grass. Look what happened with the Chihuahuan Desert mm-hmm. in the film. Everybody said, oh, we don't get enough rain. We don't mm-hmm. get enough rain. Alejandro Carrillo looked at his great-grandparents' records on the rainfall. He said it wasn't any different. Wow. Now, you know what was different? Fewer cattle and cattle just being penned up and let out for the summer Mm -hmm. uh, in one place. That's the way we've done ranching to a large degree in the last uh, 100 years. So... What happens when the grasses come back, I'm talking only grasslands, but the same uh, thing happens when you grow a monocrop. You have to have other crops to, because each plant feeds the uh, microbial life differently. Mm-hmm. And they have roots that grow different. Uh, some are really deep-rooted, some are shallow. So you, they have to all be there. You have to have, the monocropping we've done in farming has been, looked at as more lucrative, right? Mm -hmm. But in the long run, we're stripping the fertility of the soil because soil, in order to be healthy, needs a variety of plants on it all the time, not Mm -hmm. just the big three. And it's the same thing with cattle. Once the cattle, I'm saying cattle, but it could be sheep, Mm -hmm. it could be goats, it could be um, any grazing animal, really. Then the birds come back. And we know we need birds. Mm-hmm. And the birds follow the poop and pick out the bugs. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. It's the dung beetle. It's like the miracle. And the dung beetle yeah. is a hero. It's a hero. He, he puts those little, little pieces of dung, you know, in the in the earth. But the birds follow the cattle. And they follow uh, other, uh, I can't think what, what else, but... Around the world, there's always birds mm-hmm. that follow, and when a, they get a, a nice poop, they eat all the bugs, and that keeps the, uh, the cattle healthy. So everything works together, and we've lost sight of that. Totally. You know, it's, we've turned, that's why we call it industrialized agriculture. Yeah. And, uh, but, but I made this film because... I needed everyone to know that this didn't have to be some little cute one-acre uh, solution. Right. This is very practicable on a very large scale. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So what I'm what I'm identifying from hearing you talk, which that's awesome, is that man, climate change is just a culmination of a ton of 
different things happening all at once. And, and, and I don't think what we're proposing here is, is that man, anything that is negative to climate change is, is going away. Right. Cause there's a lot of things that we're talking about here where, you know, I know we're, we're, we're seeing like the automotive industry kind of leaning towards electric vehicles. We're seeing, but like at the end of the day, we've got planes that are flying, there's military operations, there's, you know, homes that are being heated. There's so much going on in the world that is, that is, you know, withdrawing from the climate change, I don't know, bank account, the, the, the healthy soil, the healthy, you know, climate capital, if you mm-hmm, will. Mm-hmm. And well, well, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. But no, but what's interesting is uh, a lot more industries are changing their practices than you might know. Mm. Again, because what we hear in the media is always the, uh, you know, what bleeds leads. Mm -hmm. It's always been true. So, you, you know, there are companies like Cargill and General Mills, and it's not just greenwashing. They're actually paying for regeneratively grown um, products, yeah, they're you know for the wheat and the, and uh, they're paying and and uh, you know they're one of the issues with uh, well anyway l- let me get back to the simple thing first. We do have the need to use fossil fuels for the time being. We can't automatic even but even if tomorrow we found a solution and changed everything so we were no longer using, you know, maybe we found the, what's that fission thing that they're talking about? Maybe that happens tomorrow. Mm -hmm. We won't, but, you know. We will still have a problem, and that is the greenhouse gases that have been um, in the air for, you know, a, a long time and have grown. That is why I am excited about land-based solutions, Mm -hmm. because that's the quickest way to bring down the amount of CO2 and other greenhouse gases from the atmosphere, put it where it belongs. Our soils are starving for carbon. Mm -hmm. They're starving. And so we've got 40% of our world is grasslands, 30 is in agriculture. Um, That's 70% right there. There's also the ocean farmers, and I'm talking about uh, the young man, I, I call him a young man, but he's, I love him, um, doing the uh, green, um, oh my gosh, this is kelp. terrible. The kelp, but every year, it's, so he's not doing uh, fish. When you, see, when you hear ocean farming, people think of bad fish, right? right? Mm-hmm. That, that, are, have pest, that are full of um, chemicals and whatnot. Uh, but he is, kelp stores so much carbon, it's crazy. And he's been uh, recognized as one of the visionaries around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are options to draw down what is up there. It's called a legacy load. And let the people who are going to be coming up with the fission energy or whatever, let them do their work. That's why we have a deadline about these things. Have y'all heard about the 3030 uh, proposal? I haven't. Mm, I don't know. Okay, well, uh, I know people think the UN d- does nothing, but they actually do. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do some stuff, but it's not very exciting because it's like a lot of people talking, you know? <laughs> but, uh, and nobody, you know, you, we all want conflict and drama. Mm, yeah. um, but there are countries all over the world who have signed up, and not only have they signed up to bring down these uh, greenhouse gases, 
but they're putting money where they're, they're putting their money where their mouth is. I just read this week of uh, five or six, uh, I can't remember how many acres of 80 billion, uh, 80 million, uh, huge amounts of acreage uh, that countries are agreeing that they're going to start working regeneratively wow. all over the world. That's amazing. So we don't hear this good news. Yeah. I try to put it on our, um, you know, our social media because it's new. And this is called a 30 for 30? What, what is this? Yeah, 30, uh, I think it's 30, uh, protect 30% of the world by 19, uh, 2030. Yeah. Oh, got it. Have you heard uh -huh. of this? I don't think so. I'm going to have to look that yeah. up. That's awesome. And you, we can find oh, it information awesome. about this on your... Yeah, so um, there, it, it's... Uh, it, two things that I could uh, tell you. I'm sometimes I don't want to speak about these things because I forget the uh, actual percentages. Totally. But thirty for thirty is right. But you you know the Nature Conservancy. It's one of the largest quote unquote conservation groups in the world. And um, several this uh, several of our people in the film are uh, associated affiliated with them. Mm -hmm. But it used to be they were just conserving land, closing the doors to everybody else. Let's buy this piece of land to save it, mm -hmm. save the animals, save the wildlife. And now they have integrated their approach so that it's all about the people who live there. Mm -hmm. And also they are 150%, 200% on board with regenerative practices, land-based solutions that also offer a public good and a good to the people living there yeah and they are doing work in, in enorm on an enormous tracts of land around the world mm -hmm. it's uh it's crazy good news one thing i love about your film is that you guys show that this regenerative model is is accessible to people in all different climates. Like you yeah. go to Mexico, yeah. you go to Kenya, you're in different parts of the U.S. And that's one of the arguments I've heard is like, well, regenerative agriculture is great if you're on like a five to 10 acres farm and you want to be cute at the farmer's market. And it's like, no, there are different ways where this is scalable to really large operations. Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple other really interesting pieces in the film I want to dig into, but really quick, I want to go back to the seedbed conversation because I first heard about the seedbed from Joel Salatin when I was visiting Polyface, and I had, mm -hmm. didn't know that. I didn't know there was this thing called an ancient seedbed, and I'm sure it's, yeah. uh, I don't know how, how, if it's like everywhere, if it's like more um, concentrated in different areas, but... From my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, they, these are seeds, right? Because our plants are dropping seeds all the time. These are seeds down below probably the top levels of soil. And mm -hmm. seeds are so smart. They're so intellectual. And they know mm -hmm. when the proper conditions are optimal for sprouting. Because mm -hmm. they're not just going to randomly sprout and then be like, oh, I don't have any sun or water. I can't grow a plant. So these seed beds when we restore when the right water like you're saying the right amount of carbon comes back when the nutrients in the soil are there and when the soil is fertile we're not spreading new grass seed these are seeds already mm -hmm. on our earth we exactly. just have to tap in well yeah and so his point is i find this fascinating too mm -hmm. under the ground even in deserts or near deserts I know for sure near deserts like it can be they don't sprout 
unless they have enough water and sun, just mm-hmm. as you said. Yeah. But they are there. Mm-hmm. But the really crazy thing for me is uh, the water holding capacity of even the driest places can be improved by planting more plants. Now, that's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, but this is what happened uh, in the Chihuahuan Desert where uh, Alejandro is, far, uh, is ranching. He uh, brought in, he's now increased his herd size. He's quadrupled it in the last, since he began down there about eight, ten years ago. Wow. He's quadrupled it. Why? Not because he's brought in a whole lot more water, but because he's running the cattle in a way that uh, makes the soil hold, hold more water. Wow. Mm. And I, I think uh, the two farmers, the brothers who have the uh, green cover seed business mm-hmm. from Nebraska, I love them. They're so great. 3,000 acres, don't forget. That's not a small right. place. Mm-hmm. It's not huge, but it's not small. Um, they are... Uh, they have this business they started 10 years ago to have cover crops, plants that, that farmers could plant in between their row, their so-called cash crops. They now have customers in every state. They're now beginning an overseas operation. So what's the impact to the seedbed if we're dumping things like, you know, Roundup and we're monocropping, like... Is that seedbed still there, or is that killing the seedbed? Does putting multiple... You don't want to put any kind of pesticides or uh, herbicides, Roundup's an herbicide, on the ground because it kills everything. Mm. And we have got to get off that. And But you know what? Here's the thing. Everyone thinks, oh, my God, those big farmers are never going to change. Well, they do. That's why I had... Uh, the two brothers, the Burns brothers in the film. Mm. They went from being very conventional farmers to understanding that the the soil was was everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is, you know, people think, oh, they'll never make, people don't change that easily. Well, guess what? If it works, they change. Mm -hmm. So this, this, in this country and in Europe and certainly even in the Masai Mara, these things are happening because it works. Yeah. I actually think we're entering a period of time where like the beauty and uh, like gold shininess around the industrial ag solutions is wearing off and people are saying, yeah. hey, we have to dump more onto our land. This is more expensive. Our soils are more depleted. And so it does take... I think a reason to change, whether that's a conversation with someone like you or a film that they're watching or talking to their neighbors. We recently had a guest on the show who they're, they're a centennial farm in Oklahoma. And so we Mm -hmm. got to go through what that eight generations of farming has looked like. And, Mm -hmm. uh, she told the story of, you know, switching to conventional when that was first doing, when the ag uh, chemical people were knocking on their doors saying, Hey, we can yes. solve your yield issues. We can yeah. make you. And they did. They did. They did. They Don't did. forget that. Yes. That's that happened. Otherwise no one would have but, done it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. People almost, don't do things for no reason. Right. Yeah. It's almost like the, 
chemicals that were being sold were more effective with a healthy ground. Oh, I'm sure they I mean, were. And now it's running they, out. They, I mean, it created a green revolution around the world. Totally. Let's not forget that. Some people still think that's great. And in a way it is. But what nobody knows is almost every, um, unless you really work directly with the interconnection of uh, the animals, the microbial life, the plants, the sun, the water, we like to have a straight shoot approach. It's easier, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Go right to the solution. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is that you're ignoring all the other things that need to happen for this uh, quote unquote fertility to keep going. So the fertilizers and then the roundups and whatnot work for a while. And then you have to, as you said, add more mm -hmm. and that's expensive. Right. And worse than that, the actual fertility of the soil continues to go down. And guess what? When your soil is not full of microbial life, which gets killed when you put uh, too many herbicides and whatnot on your soil, guess what? The plants are not healthy, and then you have to add more stuff to make the plants healthy. Mm -hmm. So it's just more and more and more. And so that's why the farmers are saying, okay, they're going to try something that sounds crazy. They're going to have a real mess on their hands. All that messy, uh, oh, what's his name? The wonderful man down in uh, the Chesapeake Bay. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to do it, have anything to do with the, uh, the environmentalists. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're accusing oh, yeah. us of killing the fish. Totally. You know? And then he learned. And now look at his fields. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, and he's not unusual. It's happening everywhere. Mm -hmm. The University of Missouri, one of the most conservative ag schools in the country, they they got twenty five million dollars to uh, to uh, help train farmers in this new in these new methods. Wow, well, this is happening cool. all over. That's exciting, and I like that yeah. you. I like that you're so quick to share that good news. Like you're not coming on podcasts and talking about how the, all, like it's true. There's these storms are devastating farmers and their land is already not yeah, able they are. to we recoup. need to do stuff differently so yeah. but I, I just appreciate your positive outlook on it because it does I think it does seem like too simple for people like even sometimes I'm trying to wrap my head around it like okay so here's a perfect example I always mm -hmm. assumed you had to plant seeds in soil that was broken up through a tiller and a seed just as we weed in our garden, seeds, plants can't grow if other plants are already there. But then you watch the mm. no-till method and you mm -hmm. watch his field. He's planting over all of this other like fibrous plant material just by slicing a little thing in the soil. And yeah. it wasn't that Ooh, cool to see. Slice. I saw that. That was literally the question I was going to ask is I still break down the no-till method for me break down break <laughs> down is, the, the like planting in a worse. field of grass how does that work <laughs> <laughs> well I, I gotta tell you a little secret i'm not a farmer but i did grow up my dad was a farmer uh he grew up on a farm and mm -hmm. we used to go there every summer and uh i think he, he anyway uh, that's a, that's an aside but what i'm trying to say is i'm not a farmer but i'm pretty good at knowing what people are doing so yeah they have grasses they have weeds they have all this stuff and they have a real thin little blade mm -hmm. and instead of 
tearing it all up, making it nice, and just having plain dirt. That's the worst thing you do for the poor soils. Mm. The, when, you, when you turn them over like that, which we've been doing since, we've been plowing since, as long as we know, since the beginning of agriculture. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. well, it used to be, no, at one point, I think they were just, well, the Native Americans were sticking seeds in when they needed a certain crop with just a little hole. They didn't plow. Mm -hmm. And there are other cultures that have not plowed, but mostly we have. But when you turn the soil like that, it might make it easier to plant your seeds that you want, but it is destroying the fertility and water holding capacity. And immediately when you turn the soil, all this carbon also goes into the atmosphere. So that's, it's, it's another issue um, that creates the carbon greenhouse gas effects. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's kind of messy, but I, I, I did want to tell you a personal story. Yes, please do. I thought, well, I got a lot of grass out there and I've been telling everybody just to grow some other things besides grass because monocrops, even in your own yard, and by the way, we have 40 million acres of lawns. <laughs> it's huge. Green lawns. Let's utilize it's, those. You know, when everybody's out there trimming and Spraying taking all them. the leaf off, leaves off the lawns and all this, it's wrong. It's mm -hmm. just wrong. We, we, we privilege neatness over um, life. Yeah. So that's something. But I started to say, I thought, well, I'm going to just, take out half my lawn and I'll just plant, put stuff in there. And I, I had, I, I had my uh, woman who comes over and helps me with that. She said, well, you need to make a bed for all these flowers. I'm like, let's just plant right into the grass. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It looked terrible <laughs> the first year. <laughs> it was, it was like a mess. Yeah. And the grasses were like still growing. And I realized it's not simply putting in, I mean, you can't, you can do this. What I needed was 20 times more of the uh, native plants than I had. She's like, oh, we've got plenty. And I'm like, no, we don't. Mm -hmm. So the next year I put in 10 times more plants. Mm -hmm. And now yeah. I've got like a native, um, it still looks kind of messy because we're used to things in real nice totally. beds, you know? But I have, I wanted a backyard that had, uh, that was a home for birds mm -hmm. and animals. Yeah. So. I have seen on the internet, uh, <laughs> this little. It was a mess though, the first year. It was just a mess. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> this is what I'm picturing it was. I've seen this, this image, it like went viral of someone's lawn and they basically mowed every section except for like a small triangle or a rectangle, <laughs> which was just overgrown with grasses and some wildflowers. And it had a little sign in it, like this one's for the bees or something. And so they, they're willing to sacrifice this one patch of their lawn to grow up and flower and seed for the animals. But like every other part of it was green. And it just looked so absurd because if you're in like suburbia USA, mm -hmm. you're like, what are you doing? You have an HOA. You can't like we literally. Somebody might call the yeah, you. you're not allowed. <laughs> I know I have friends who have gotten notices because their lawn hasn't been mowed. Yeah, because they're trying to yeah. do it ecological, ecologically, and yeah, their HOA like calls on them. It's like you, this isn't appropriate, which I understand. Like it's house hurting values. the home values. Yeah, I, yeah. I get that to a certain degree. Like we've chosen to live in this way, we have to abide by some rules. But I like if it's your backyard, 
I'm like, yeah, let it go wild. Let's let's revolution. Let's let start it go. The yeah, backyard. But you prairie. can help it. <laughs> you can help it. You know, you can help it. Like in my case, I put uh, native plants, but I did plant them. Mm. I could have just seeded. I never seeded anything, and and wildflowers come up. Wow, even through the grass. That's um, but. Oh my gosh, she said to me, you know, this grass that was planted is really tough. And, uh, oh, we had to put cardboard down on it and did all this stuff. So it's, it's not necessary. It's, it's a change in thinking. Mm. We do truly privilege neatness and order. And that's a, um, and it makes sense because we, had to fight the wildness in the world for most of human history. Mm -hmm. We thought, you know, it was our lives depended on being able to, you know, fight the wilderness, mm -hmm. carve out homes. And so it's just, it's a hard notion to get your head wrapped around, but it does work and farmers are using it. They are using it and we're using it. So I posted last year, we had this garden, it was what, 20 by 20? Feet. yeah i mean it was small yeah but like i just had and we do it in my dad's backyard because we don't get good sunlight in our yard and he lives mm -hmm. just down the road but uh everyone's like got their cute little raised beds and i was like no we're just gonna plant in the patch of grass we did rip up some of the grass but we're like we're just gonna plant in the ground and i can't tell mm -hmm. you how many messages i used to joke and say this is the world's least instagrammable garden but like i didn't care <laughs> and people would message me like wait i didn't know i could plant into the ground yeah. I thought I had to have a raised bed. And I'm like, yes. are you serious? <laughs> and it's but we don't know. We don't know. And it's, it's because that's yeah. our Pinterest mindset. That's what we see mm -hmm. on Instagram. And it is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying like you can't have your beautiful raised beds. If you want to cultivate that beauty, do it. But also if that's the thing stopping you from growing a couple rows of tomatoes, like mm. don't let that stop you or whatever right. you want to grow. So yeah. I, I just think that's a funny reminder of yeah, and I think of that field in the documentary, just watching them seed through all this rough fibrous, and it amazing blows me Isn't away. It? I'm like, surely I mean, those won't grow. What about harvesting in that scenario? Does that cause any challenges when they're trying to harvest through all uh, that grass? It really doesn't. They, but I can't uh, detail exactly how they harvest. They they have to. Um, unfortunately, when you have ten thousand acres, which he has on the Chesapeake. Um, you can't hand harvest. You no. have to do it by machines. But they are they make harvesting machines. I forget how they do it. Uh, I think the uh, the cover crops grow uh, die down, and then they, I can't remember exactly, but uh, it it works. Okay. Just you know you can go Is it and just learn specific cover crops that have a season where and then maybe they wilt off. Mm -hmm before yeah. the other like ones they'll, do. They'll plant, uh, and the Burns Brothers do this too, they'll begin uh, planting some things early spring. Mm. I mean, when the, there's still snow on the ground, they'll just stick the seeds right down in it with that little blade, mm -hmm. you know, and those things come up. And then they have a season, it's only short, two months, I think, for the corn and the wheat and whatnot. But in in the old way of doing it, you leave your fields fallow except for that three months, right? Well, that is not how the earth really needs to work. Mm -hmm. It can grow. Uh, you, your growing season so much longer mm -hmm. is my point. And so you you plant your cover crops before 
during and after. Yeah. And that nourishes the soil. I, uh, I recently saw an example of why you should have cover crop over winter, harsh winters, particularly in Canada. So there's mm-hmm. a farmer, I think his name's Farmer Dan, and he's up in Canada. And he did a beautiful video on, hey, if I don't have green greenery on my fields, even when I'm, this isn't my cash crop, this is my cover crop, the mm-hmm. snow and everything, like every, all my dirt and soil will go away. It will blow wash away. away. It'll wash yeah. away. And yes. so that greenery is really anchoring all of the beautiful, rich soil you've worked so hard to cultivate. It's keeping it mm-hmm. there. It, it, it does yeah. seem weird. I think the other thing we're uncomfortable with is like growing something that doesn't necessarily produce instant cash. Like you're not right. harvesting your cover crop and selling it. And so for yeah. a farmer, it's like, why would I do that? In the long run, though, they're getting better yields. Their land is more fertile, and it's overall mimicking what nature used to do, or what nature should be doing, or what nature does when humans don't touch it. So, I well, the other the other thing that benefits farmers is, um, and it can happen pretty quickly in a year. Their their uh, their what they call input mm-hmm. costs go down. And that's for fertilizer and pesticides and, you know, the various bugs that plants get when they're in feeble soil. So those costs in, can go down as quickly as a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a benefit. There's absolutely. It's just a long run. It's a long-term game. It's not as quick it's not like maybe yeah i mean if you have roundup and you have a weed you can shoot it and woohoo all gone (laughs) unfortunately it kills a lot of other things too right so let me break this down for myself because i'm the noob in the room here of climate change and so the ways that regenerative agriculture is positively impacting climate change and Mm -hmm. i'm gonna i'm gonna share what i know and then i'd like you two to correct me and tell me how it actually operates. <laughs> so there's a lot of um, emissions and greenhouse gases, and we're, we're calling this uh, like carbon that is in the in the atmosphere, in the air, in, the, in, in, in like rising off the earth. Okay, and that is collecting and causing the some some issue. I'm guessing it's like it's hurting the atmosphere the warming the warming the increase in degrees because it's like a greenhouse effect okay those gases yep. are holding gases. in there you go. yeah the greenhouse effect means that it's the gases are holding in the heat mm. that you would have okay so, um, so it's like creating more density the, the viscosity yes. of the of the air of the, of the atmosphere yeah. is increasing mm-hmm. okay that makes sense and yeah. then that then um the way that we're reducing that in this proposed solution that we're seeing uh, Mm -hmm. presumably be successful is through farms that are encouraging a greater level of photosynthesis because Mm -hmm. in the photosynthesis, Mm -hmm. I don't know, process, this carbon and your your carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide is Mm -hmm. being digested by plants Mm -hmm. and it's spitting out oxygen. Exactly. And so one of the ways we've talked about doing that is, hey, you can't just plant a bunch of grass into a, you know, previously destroyed piece of property. So there has to be some mending that, that, mm-hmm. that needs to occur. And that mm-hmm. mending process oftentimes involves ruminant animals 
trucking all over that and mm-hmm. breaking all that dirt up, pooping all over it and bringing back wildlife to support a healthy, you know, grassland prairie. Is, is this, yeah. is this the, is this the scenario? So, so at the end of the yeah. day, we're looking for more photosynthesis, right? That's, exactly. that's kind of what the solution, mm-hmm. because I think mm-hmm. it's too easy for people to be like, oh, well, how are cows helping pull away carbon? It's like, well, they're not really right. They're putting methane out and you could, they're, they're not, they're not. But they like, do, but yeah, the methane thing is a tricky one and it, it's, it's an issue, but there's some researchers scientists who are saying you know what if you have cows grazing on the actual grasses that they're supposed to the methane there's there's bacteria that eat the methane Mm. methane or meth i don't know how you pronounce it either way but um so i haven't heard a lot about that and you know science can be very conservative but it's the worst problem with cows is the uh holding pens and the huge big cafos yeah, the CAFOs and the waste of this liquid gold. Mm. The their waste pee, of their manure. poop. Yeah. And frankly, we humans should have a better waste system mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. Um, although we're so polluted with, you know, chemicals, maybe we wouldn't, our waste wouldn't be that great. That's another issue. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're not going to go into that right now. Right but on. the point is that the holding... Um, the CAFOs are the problem. Uh, they create a huge environmental disaster, no matter where they are or what animal or, and it's bad for the animals. It's, mm-hmm. it's inhumane. Um, uh, you know, the chickens packed in little tiny cages. That's why you really need to buy the grass. And by the way, that the, these grass-fed, grass-finished animals are more expensive, but I always remind people that back in the beginning of the organic movement, nobody was going to buy any of that expensive stuff. Only hippies and rich people. Now you have, whether this is good or bad, you could argue. Now you have organic in Walmarts all over the world, Mm -hmm. right? It's the prices have come down because the demand is there. It's up to us to demand that we have better food uh, and better climate, you know, for our next generations, for us. That brings up a great topic. So we're not farmers. We've talked about this. We, I mean, we, we have the 20 by 20, right? Plot. 20 foot. 20 foot by 20 well, foot. I've got, my, I've got my messy garden and out She's there. got the backyard prairie. And so, but the, the, what, so if we aren't farmers, and I'm going to guess a lot of people that are listening today aren't farmers, what can we do? What are some of the things we okay, can do? Okay, great question. Uh, first of all, I mentioned there's 40 million acres of lawns in this country. That's a lot. Yeah. And if you're interested in uh, bringing down more carbon dioxide, if you're interested in the bird population, which is it's um, really bad, if you're interested in restoring um, those birds and the other wildlife, take a piece of your land, just like you've done, even if you only have like 10 by 10, mm-hmm. and put other uh, plants in it, um, native varieties that will then feed the soil. You, uh, photosynthesis is, is, is vital, but 
each plant delivers different carbon sugars to the uh, microbial life. Mm. So you just can't go out there and plant grass. Doesn't work. Doesn't work very well. What if we have, because I think about this all the time, we live on a short street of like 15 houses and it would probably upset our neighbors if we let our whole lawn go wild. But are there... This is gonna. This might be a dumb question. Are there different types of green grasses that would be more diverse seed mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I could plant that would still quote look decent? Doesn't have to all be the same shade of green. I'm fine if it's a little bit different. And we'll, you know, like is that an option? If you get two or three or four different grass varieties, you're good. Okay. And you can get those, and they're different for each part of the country. So I can't really tell you which ones to get. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a good place to look. This seems funny, but. Uh, the the um, Audubon uh, Society mm. gives you a lot of information about what to plant. Huh, interesting. Uh, and you can plant. You don't have to just let it be a meadow. You could, but your neighbors might not like it. Right. Yeah. Um, but you can plant, um, you know, you can make gardens, but with try to use native plants. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, you know, more uh, like less lawn although you might want a little lawn mm-hmm. for like lawn bowling or something who knows but you can put in uh, shrubs and little plants and mm-hmm. low uh there's all kinds of stuff you can plant and and, and it'll look good mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah but the other thing that people can do um who are not even let's say they live in the city there's city gardens everywhere mm-hmm. You know, they can advocate that those gardens are uh, taken care of and they can go work with them. There's all kinds of community gardens. But those are things you can directly do. The other thing that I can't say enough is there's certain organizations around the world who are doing amazing work. And if you dig into it, you'll find that that's true. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mentioned uh, the Nature Conservancy. They have, I forget what the, uh, they use all these acronyms, which I hate, but if you go on their website, they, are, they, they have nature-based solutions and they'll tell you all about it and what they're doing around the world. Mm. Maybe you have a few dollars to donate. Maybe you belong to a club that can uh, support them in some way, so some organization. But that, that is a really, you know, money, giving money. Uh, policy is also important. We're, we are now uh, in this new administration, um, there's quite a bit of money going towards regenerative agriculture. People don't know that. Maybe yeah. it's, it's a way you can spread the word. You can read about these people and get the word out. I mean, it's not just, be, it's not just giving money, it's getting the word out to people. This good news, I mean, as I said, things are being done all over the world. Um, I happen to Savory Institute and the Nature Conservancy. I'm pretty close to them because I've made this film and we're doing all this work together. They are doing extraordinary work in every country in the world. Yeah. And the oceans. Yeah. There's all these things like uh, green something bonds so that, okay, poorer countries in the south, they're loaded with debt. There's a new way to, um, I forget what it's called, but it's, you, you can get your debt uh, interest rates lowered quite a bit if you promise to put certain amounts of your land into uh, regenerative spaces. Mm, wow. And it's working. That's awesome. You know, 
it's a, it's a win for them and it's a win for the planet. Yeah. So there's, I think a final way to add on that, that you already mentioned is man, we as consumers, right? Mm-hmm. Where we spend our dollars is, is a really way count. to put our chips on a methodology, right? We're not just voting on, Hey, this f- product or this packaging is attractive to me. Therefore do it more like this. But we're also saying, man, if, if, products that we're buying and, and we're and we're cr- thinking critically about them how they're produced mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know how they how nourishing they are to us the natural way business operates is that more of that will be done mm-hmm. that's right and they do listen i mean i can't i uh, i think there's i started to tell you earlier that there's several very large ag com- companies who are well this is about beef grass-fed beef and um, McDonald's, Walmart, a couple of others, like give, make sure that the standards make sense everywhere. That that has to happen. You mm-hmm. know, a certain it can't. You just can't call something grass-fed. Right now, you can, mm-hmm. but it has to be. It, it has to mean something. Um, and then uh, they're there buying it for their consumers mm-hmm. because they know consumers want this. It's healthier for people. Uh, so that's interesting to me. You know, I can vilify the Mon- Monsantos of the world that with the best of them, but you know, even a company. Uh, okay, one of the people that's in my film, he's kind of a stocky guy, real smart, goes and tells you about uh, the history of agriculture. He works at the Nature Conservancy. He's out of uh, Kansas and he's head of agriculture worldwide, mm. okay? And he grew up, he told me this when we, were, when we first met, he grew up on a farm, Kansas, and his dad, uh, there was a, a hippie farmer down the road and he went bust, okay? He was growing all this crazy stuff. So his dad bought the land real cheap and said, okay, son, you're 14 years old, that's yours to farm. So he went over there with his plow and all the tools back in the day, 1980s, I think. And he said, oh my God, this place is such a mess. Because he had plants all over the place, just things sprouting like crazy. It was a mess. So he, he ran the plow and he was expecting it to be really tough with all those roots and whatnot. Instead, he found the soil was amazing. It was black. Mm. He's like, huh, how'd that happen? He said within three years, he'd ruin the whole place by doing his method of conventional farming. The other thing that was funny about his story is that he went to ag school and he worked at Monsanto for 16 years. And then he's one of those great people in life who doesn't think about good and bad. He thinks most people are well-intentioned. He said, you know, it's not that they were doing things to be evil, but they kept thinking these solutions would be good. Mm. But they were one-shot solutions. And our world doesn't work that way. And so that's when he um, went to the Nature Conservancy. But he can really talk to farmers, that guy. Mm -hmm. See, and I think that that's cool because it shows that people, when they're given new information, can, can shift gears. I think they that's, can. Yeah. that's yeah, they like, can. it's one of the reasons we have the podcast. We always talk about mm-hmm. being educated consumers and we want to push our community to be as educated as possible when it comes to mm-hmm. 
consuming foods. If, listen, if you're not going to be your own homesteader and you're going to buy from the food system, you must understand the food system. So that's mm-hmm. one of the things that we push. Because we believe that market demand will drive change. It's exactly it it's exactly everything you're saying. So I love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and do you need any more clarity on climate change? I feel like I'm getting it. I feel like I'm getting it. That's, this is great. I just, I've never really dove into climate change in an extensive conversation like this and it's been outstanding. So I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm getting it. Yeah. It's- well, yeah. One, one thing that I'm excited about is when I first made this film, well, I started making it back in, started thinking about it in 17. Wow. I started researching it in 14, mm. began reading. I'm a big reader. I read everything. Um, now, I wish I could remember everything. But <laughs> I, I take notes. It usually helps. Uh, but when I, f- I wanted to partner with uh, the Nature Conservancy and have their audience know about the film, which when I first had this film out there it was 20 beginning of 2021 we're still in COVID, right well we still are but whatever they were really uncomfortable with the word regenerative Hmm. this but i and they wanted me to change some things so that they could because they have a lot of people to vet all their material and it makes sense they have their brand it's whatever but uh we talked about working together. What I meant by that is they have a huge audience and just sharing it on their social media. That's all, sharing the, um, the film. Now, a year later, they were like, oh, yeah, this is, this is what we call it now. <laughs> and, and, and I'll tell you something else. On their site, they have like six or seven land-based solutions all over the world. Mm. They are fully on board, as are their scientists. But That's amazing. It is amazing. They weren't at first. Yeah, it took them, what, six months to catch on? Uh, well, it probably took longer, but I, I only know about the last, the year between 20, January mm. 2021 and uh, I guess it was 2022. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. we have, yeah, we've, co- we've collaborated with them on a few things. It's been good. That's exciting because... I think Alan Savory has done a ton. Like, I, I can't tell you how many guests we've had on the show who've mentioned Alan Savory and the Savory Institute. Uh, yeah. Wasn't it Kelowna Supernatural who just got the it Savory did. Institute's, uh, I always forget the verification, land market verification. Yeah. Uh, anyways, tons of work. Oh, yeah. It's hard to remember the same. Oh, there's so there's all so the many acronyms. acronyms. All the, in, uh, why ac- do these people speak in acronyms? And, and <laughs> so I get, many. I get. I'm like, you guys don't know how to communicate. Well, and that, I, okay, I agree with you because, and I actually, I don't even know how much the average, maybe not organization, but like farmer, like we just need to let them do their thing. And that's why we need people like you to tell their story. And what mm-hmm. I said to the most recent podcast, who is a rancher, uh, podcast guest I was telling you about earlier, Chris. I was like, listen, Chris, unless you're going to sit down and write a book, like this is your opportunity to tell your story. Mm -hmm. Me and Joey aren't raising food right now to sell to our local community. I don't know if that's ever in our future, but right now we're just the big megaphone Mm -hmm. at helping educate and share stories. And that's you are that to the max because you've created this beautiful film that's um, just paints it 
nine different examples, like nine (laughs) different examples, not one, not Mm -hmm. two, not four. And so it's just really, really cool to see that. I'm curious. I do have a couple questions about the logistics of the film. My first Mm -hmm. thing watching it was how did you find all these different stories and all these different people? (laughs) Well, let me say this. Um, I made my first film when I was 50. So I had had a pretty uh, interesting lot of different things I was doing before that. But one of my skills, and I don't know a thing about making, uh, I I can't even turn on camera. My own (laughs) sons pointed this out to me when I told them, probably, you know, when I, the first film I, I directed and produced, I had already executive produced a film born into brothels, which was uh, very well received. But um, I told my sons and my husband, I'm going to make a film and about artists who are mothers. And they were like, my sons were like sitting at the table going, (laughs) and they all, they've been making movies since they were kids, you know, like jackass, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. They still make movies, by the way. But they said, Mom, you don't even know how to turn on the camera. What are you doing? Um, now I've completely lost track of your question. How do you find these people? Like oh, yeah. how- oh, so I don't have any technical skills, but I have a super skill in finding people. Mm. It's, I don't know, they just pop up for me. This is like the easiest thing in the world for me. So typically what I'll do is read. Um, I'm a real, I still love books, actual books. And uh, so Judith Schwartz came into my ken. She wrote, um, she's written a couple of books, Water in Plain Sight and uh, Cows Save the World, great titles. And she tells all these stories of people who are doing this work. This is 10, 12 years ago. So I read about that, and then I, uh, I found some of those people, and I looked them up, and I didn't necessarily film them, but I filmed somebody who knew them or somebody who knew somebody else. I just hear things, and I read things, and I call people. Mm. And it's amazing if you're, ser- if you're serious and sincere, which I am, people want. And, and I, I like to tell people stories. Mm. Yeah. It's just my favorite thing to do, you know. Um, so I don't know. It just happened. Uh, the Savory Institute, uh, I found, uh, they're headquartered here in Boulder, of all places. I didn't even know that. Wow, I didn't know um, that. Either. I used to live on the East Coast, so I only moved here about six years, eight years ago. But um, I met uh, Alan Savory. I did an interview with him. Uh, the actual president of the Savory Institute is Daniela Ibarra-Howell. She was in the film for two seconds. She's awesome, but very shy. Um, and then she told me about some people. You know, well, how you should go tell this story. And the Maasai Mara story came out of them. Mm. The, the Chesapeake Bay story came from um, my friend at the Nature Conservancy. He said, you, you, got, you got to go meet this guy. He's amazing. And... I got the names of the Burns brothers also from him. Wow. They were personal friends. Mm. And he's like, they're my heroes. And I called them out of the blue. And I said, we're making a film, yada, yada. And Brian, I think it was uh, not Brian Burns. It's the other brother. He goes, okay. And he looked me up. 
And well, it's smart, right? So it, if I just, I think that's, there's just people all over the place who are doing amazing work. And it's my work to find them. Mm. I have to have a cameraman. I have to have a sound guy. I mean, most, most filmmakers do. Totally. Right. can't do everything. But my job is to find those people mm. and to tell their stories. I love that. I love that yeah. too. That's awesome. Oh, I also should mention that I have worked with the same team of producers uh, for, in one case, uh, Lindsay Richardson, who is my co-director. Uh, I've worked with her since 2008. Mm. And Paula Kirk, I've worked with for 25 years. Wow. She's more of a back office person, uh -huh. but she keeps saying, and she's a really good researcher. Yeah. So having, uh, and it's just the three of us. Mm. Your team. Uh, but Lindsay brought in our cameraman, who's very special, and our sound guy, who's awesome. So, you know, you find good people, and then they know people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Lindsay actually uh, directed the shoot on the Masai Mara. Wow. Because guess who forgot her passport? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was... <laughs> I'm standing at JFK Airport, and the streets of New York are empty because it's February oh, yeah. 30th of COVID. Yeah. Nobody yeah. knows what this is. I think it was uh, meant to be. She's quite a bit younger than me. Uh, so she, she's like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> I'd love to hear her side of that story. Yeah, I'm sure she Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. She is an awesome, amazing, very talented uh, young woman. Mm -hmm. Well, she's not that young, but, you know, everyone looks young to me. Mm -hmm. But And she also decided, <laughs> we have a great relationship. We went to uh, Alejandro Carrillo's together to, to scout. Mm -hmm. It was a four-hour drive in his pickup truck from the airport down there in Chihuahua, oh, the wow. city. It was huge. And we stayed at his house, and he was absolutely lovely and made us some meals, and his ranch hands came. I couldn't sleep a wink because it was, I, I need my own space at night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she said, Pam, I don't think you should go on the shoot. <laughs> she, she understood said, your limits. Um, yeah, she, yeah, she's, we take care of each other. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so she went, and they got their pickup truck stuck in the mud up to past the axle. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's was, terrible. Oh, it was really bad. It was hilarious. And she shared that house with three, four guys, our camera, our sound, uh -huh. Alejandro, and yeah. somebody else. I can't remember. Oh, uh, uh, you know. And she shared the bedroom with Mike, the sound guy, and there was one bathroom. They had to make it work. I don't I don't think people think about that like when they're watching the finished product of a documentary no. specifically. <laughs> it's crazy how much logistical stuff goes into filming. You got to mic up. You have to scout out the location, find yeah. these people, make sure they're comfortable on camera because they might have a really cool story. But if they aren't comfortable sharing it or they're awkward on camera or they um, can't get in the flow of what they're trying to say, it's like 
well, that story's dying with you. Like, it's a special blend of talents, the logistical side of filmmaking. I cannot even wrap my head around. So what you do is well, you, you saw me. I had, to, I had to bring in Sal to get your microphone to work. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but that's the thing is you have people in your life and you just focus on you. You're like the farmer. You're like the example I just gave, right? Let's just mm-hmm. let farmers do their thing. Mm-hmm. You tell stories, find people, keep doing it. It's amazing. I'm curious what your... Has the feedback from the film been what you expected it to be? Mm. Uh, yes and no. Uh, I'll tell you a couple things. One is the very first film I worked on won every award in the world. Academy Award, the Emmy, etc. But I wasn't really, that wasn't really my film. Uh, I just came in and was the uh, executive producer, which means basically you find the money. Uh, for the film so I you know but I've I've never had a film at Sundance it's it's really annoying Mm. Uh, (laughs) so but this film did get picked to be shown at the climate talks in Glasgow last year and they only picked four artistic endeavors so that is pretty big deal and I've I've uh directed and produced three films that were solely mine, okay? Uh, the others, I've helped people with their, with their uh, films. I've co- collaborated, consulted, and um, helped find money. Uh, and I prefer making my own movies, but they're exhausting and expensive. Mm-hmm. Having said all of that, this film has gained momentum. It started off a little slow, would I like to be on Netflix, like The Biggest Little Farm? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, that didn't happen. We've got a now, you know, things, but now things are happening. Mm. Uh, it's just, uh, you can't predict these things. I had a, a producer years ago on one of my films say, Pam, you make evergreen films. I'm like, What's that mean? Because <laughs> she had been working in film lo- longer than I had. Mm-hmm. She said, well, they, they, they will last. And uh, so I think this one will last. Mm-hmm. And as I said, it's getting picked up everywhere at this point. Do you, I mean, you can see it on Prime Video. You can see it on Apple TV, Hulu. Yeah. I forget all the places. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, do you have a, a dream... I don't even know what it's called. Broadcasting network? Like what's your dream goal for this film? If you if it could do everything you wanted it to. Uh hmm. It's already pretty much there. Mm, yeah. Cool. It's getting um I guess what uh I would like the film to be picked up by more platforms. I guess, around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, broadcasting would be awesome. Mm. I'd like to make some money. I never make any money. That's really ridiculous. Money, um, <laughs> money does help with all things. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's funny. You know, the whole world's gone that way. Even the best musicians in the world, they're out there doing concerts because they need to make the money. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the way the communications media has gone. But having said all that, I'm pretty happy. Mm. It's, you know, we got picked up by some Dutch channel and That's awesome. the UN and the UN has been a good, good thing. 
you know, people are seeing it from that experience. Mm -hmm. um, and the more that we talk to people, the better. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. that leads me to my question of how can, A, how can we support the film, and B, where can people find you and more of your work? Well, yes, uh, I have a website, mysticartists.com, and that's pretty much all my films, and then you can go to each film and see what's going on. Uh -huh. This film in particular that we're interested in, To Which We Belong, uh, which is, by the way, an Aldo Leopold um, it's from what, something he said, when yeah. you feel like you belong to the land, you change. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, uh, to which we belong com. you can go there to the website and find out uh, where you can see it. Uh, you can hold uh, screenings for, if you want to, if you're a group, that's, uh, there's a big gardening group that is, really interested in having all their groups see this film so that's that kind of thing you mm -hmm. can go and find out it, all that kind of how to get how to have access to the film uh you can also we have both uh instagram we have facebook pretty active mm -hmm. um so the instagram and the facebook i um like to use them to i'm not good at social media but i like to throw scientific articles out there and sometimes my team tells me that that's not going to work on but anyway you can find out more information about regenerative agriculture yeah on those things it's an educational so, page i mean i was browsing it even before we jumped on and that's kind of how our page is too and it's funny it's like the topics i'm most interested in that are really in-depth uh mm -hmm. it's like they i might spend three hours putting together a couple slides on gmos and it gets you know a couple way less likes than I wanted it to and then I'll throw up something that's a little yeah. more edible tangible or and it just blows up and I'm like come on so it, you got to find the sweet spot between education and entertainment kind of on social mm -hmm. media but your yeah. your guys is to which we belong page is beautifully done I love it so we'll definitely oh, link that in you. show notes for sure yeah thank you yeah right on that's all I've got I was just gonna ask if you had any other that's questions it. you I feel cleared up I feel it yeah, well, this, oh, this has, has been, been awesome. really fun. Really fun. Thank you. Glad for, we did it. Me too. Thank <laughs> you for coming on. Thank you for sticking with us and all of our microphone shipping. You guys know <laughs> sound funny. quality is number one here. And sometimes that means we ship our guest microphones and sometimes it doesn't go as planned. But thank you, Pamela. <laughs> this has been fantastic. Um, we are really really excited to have you on to share your expertise and also just get the word out about to which we belong i mm -hmm. want every listener to go watch it go listen to it go watch it uh, soak it in so thanks for being here today really appreciate it thank, thank you. you and with that pamela has left the virtual chat yes she has that was great that was the most uh like zippy i feel like conversation about a singular topic we've had in a long time hey, we're getting there we're getting better <laughs> I, I wanted to have her on so here's the I sometimes I think it's helpful to hear how guests get on our show mm -hmm. 
I saw someone share about To Which We Belong. I like to watch the documentaries that come out because for me, a documentary is one of the most powerful ways you can really quickly in like two hours convey a message where it's not just like you're listening to a podcast and you're like, okay, I'm hearing it while I'm doing dishes, but you're also visually seeing it. And mm. so much of regenerative agriculture, you have to actually see. Because totally. if I tell you about a no-till plow, you're going to be really confused. Yeah. You have to go see it. So I'm always trying to keep up on what the next kind of documentaries are. I'm glad people are still making them all the time. And I found To Which We Belong, and I posted that I was watching it. And they DM'd me, and they were like, hey, are you liking the film? And I was like, well, I'm only 20 minutes in, but I love it so far. And then after they I, they were so responsive on DM, I was like, well, you know, we'd actually love to like bring on some of the team who helped create this film because this is exactly what we talk about all the time. And it's a little bit of a different perspective. It's not the farmer we're talking to. We're talking to the filmmaker and the storyteller and someone who, like you and me, isn't producing the food, but they are um, having to digest the information and convey it in a way that makes sense to people. So it's like almost like having another podcaster on mm -hmm. the show, just uh, times 10 because she's producing film. And so that's how we got here. And I just think it's really fun when I start a conversation on social media and then it ends up in an interview um, with someone and we spend what an hour together it's awesome and we get to share that and to me I'm like that's the gold of podcasting and yeah I know some of our episodes go longer but man I'm like this we jam-packed this info yeah, it was great it was great I feel I feel like this idea of climate change and the the impact that regenerative agriculture can have on that is just an outstanding topic to discuss in in a long you know form way and uh, I loved it all right everybody if you liked this if you liked hearing from Pamela if you liked hearing from me if you liked hearing from Elizabeth Liz you can support the the, the podcast you can follow this podcast subscribe to it I don't know whatever subscribe is the typical term is that what it is whatever yeah. we're making them we're going to keep making them you can also find Pamela at mysticartists.com. Mm -hmm. She's got the Facebook, the Instagram, the whole gambit there. She's also got a website of to which we belong .com. Mm -hmm. You can find her documentary on, we watched it on Amazon. We watched it on Amazon Prime, but it's Amazon on a lot Prime. of different platforms. Yeah. A lot of different platforms. All that information's on to which we belong.com. So go check it out. Watch the film. Yeah. It's outstanding. We'd love to hear what you think too. Yeah. We'd love to hear what you think about the film. It, it was just a great way of seeing the different ways this regenerative farming process molds to different climates, different industries, industry, like every, everything. It, it was awesome. Yeah. There's people talking about it in the ocean. We're, we're in, we're in Africa. We're in, you know, America, Europe. It was, it was great. Mexico. Uh, yeah. Mexico, yeah. It was uh, uh, outstanding stuff. If you want to find us, you can do that. If you want to learn more about what we're doing over here at Homegrown Education, we have a website. We have a website. It's called homegrowneducation.org. On there, you can find things like resources that we have for, um, you know, for you and your kids, whether it's educational resources. It could be coloring books. could be educational resources for yourself. We just launched 
Oh, I guess it's not just anymore. What's for breakfast? We, we launched What's for Breakfast. We just restocked, so it feels like a little fresh it launch. It feels like a fresh <laughs> launch. It's also nationwide. So if you're in... No, no, no. It's worldwide. Worldwide. All of our resources right now, we have found a print partner where if you buy the PDF from us, which is always at a discounted rate, and you take that to the print partner, they will print and ship your resource digitally, or sorry, to internationally to you. They'll spiral bound it. They'll do whatever kind of binding you want though you can select the paper choice you can do all of that it's just a more efficient i think more cost effective and you're supporting this printer um version of like a staples like Mm -hmm. if you had to take it to staples it'd be so expensive i think i printed a proof of one of my books and it cost me 60 bucks no kidding yeah so it's printing is not cheap wow so yeah we have a print partner now that's updated on our website you can go check them out Uh, really great to get our resources globally truthfully totally so if you're looking to ease the tension of dinner and the rhythm of making amazing food for dinner and also sourcing the right products and foods like we're talking about here. We've got stuff on, on, on our website to help you with that, both paid and free. We've got free stuff on there to help you. Mm-hmm. So you want to learn about sourdough or raw dairy, we've got that on there for free. This podcast is free, so you can keep listening. You can go back and check out other episodes. You can also find Elizabeth and myself on Instagram because we're there. Doing it on Instagram. I don't know. <laughs> I drink coffee and run and hunt and those sorts of things. And Elizabeth shares really valuable content about how you can elevate your family's nutrition. So, you know, you pick, I think it seems obvious to me that uh, I'm at Joey Hazelmeyer. Elizabeth is at Liz Hazelmeyer and you can find homegrown education at homegrown underscore education. Until next time, that's a wrap.